Hi, I'm Chris Dixon, and welcome back to The One Thing Podcast. I'm sure if you were asked if you'd like to live a rich life, your answer would be yes. But it's also important to recognize that living a rich life is relative to you, and it can mean different things for different people. It's about identifying what extraordinary is for yourself or your family and designing that future, being intentional. And today, I spoke with Ramit Sethi. And Ramit shares some really powerful perspective about identifying what a rich life is for you, both individually and as a couple, some tools and some systems that can help you stay on track to achieving a rich life for yourself. So let's go talk to Ramit. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The One Thing Podcast. I'm lucky to have Ramit Sethi on the podcast with us today. And he is the author of New York Times bestselling book, I Will Teach You To Be Rich. Also, he runs his podcast. Uh, he, he and his team have created over 20 plus programs on making money, finding your dream job, starting online businesses, mastering your inner psychology and more. He now has over a million readers per month on his newsletter and in his social media. Ramit, thanks so much for being on today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I love it. And you, you said something or wrote something that, that I love and it's, I consider it a tragedy to live a smaller life than you have to. And that's so that's so big um, and aligned with what we believe at the one thing about how important it is to imagine extraordinary for your life and to be intentional about building that life. And I really appreciate what you're teaching and excited to talk to you today. Thank you very much. I, I mean, we are totally aligned and I come at it from the perspective of money and ultimately a rich life. And I think when it comes to money, most of us see it as an obligation something that we should manage. We have a very interesting puritanical dichotomy in this country. We hate money in a sense that we don't like managing it. We don't like thinking about our asset allocation, but we also love it. We love looking at people on social media in Bora Bora on a Wednesday in their 3,200 square foot house with 16 foot ceilings. And so when you really have this love-hate relationship with money, but no real understanding of how to use it to fuel your rich life, well, it becomes a problem. And that has been really my life's work. I love that. How did you get into the personal finance and development, wealth building industry? And how did you connect this passion for yourself? I got into it because uh, when I was applying to colleges, my parents told me, uh, you're going to college. Okay. My, my parents are Indian. So they're like, of course you're going to college, but we don't have any money. So you better find some scholarships. And I was like, cool. I love systems. I love building systems. So I don't have to do that much work. I built a system. I applied to about 65 scholarships, paid my way through undergrad and grad school at Stanford. And while I was there, I was studying human psychology, persuasion, uh, social influence. And I was also learning about money because I had taken my first scholarship check invested it in the stock market thinking I was a genius and lost half the money. So here I am thinking I was a genius, realized I was not, learning about human behavior. And I realized, oh my God, most of the ways that we are taught about money have no understanding of how we actually want to behave. For example, a lot of people right now listening are thinking, I'm going to come on here and tell you, you got to cut back on lattes. Uh, no jeans, no vacation, no nothing until you're 93 years old. And then maybe you can take a cruise. It's like, I don't want to live that life. Neither did any of my friends. We wanted to be able to go out, buy a round of drinks for our friends, take a trip, 
live our rich life. And so I started trying to teach people in my college. Well, I quickly learned people don't really like to go to events about money. It makes them feel bad about themselves. And so here I am, this cocky college kid. I go, you know what? This world needs to hear what I've got to tell them. And and I could have quit at that moment. I'm really thankful that I didn't. I started a blog. I said, maybe these lazy kids will learn from their dorm rooms. Turned out to be totally correct. And that was 20 years ago. And ever since then, I have been writing books, creating programs, and sharing a new philosophy on creating a rich life. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash O-N-E-5-0 and use code O-N-E-5-0 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. That's powerful. I like what you said about this barrier that people have to showing up to events. And I think it ties to, you talked about a rich life. And what relates for me is a rich life is relative to you. And I think that's important to call out that when you say yeah. rich, it's it's not always a certain dollar amount that you compare yourself to with other people. And you you may, and maybe that's what rich is for you, but it's important to ask the question, like, what would a rich life be for you? And know what that is and have the clarity to say, um, that you are aiming for this specific place and yeah. give yourself permission to start somewhere. Right? You, the best day exactly. to start is right now. It's today. That's right. You know, uh, when I ask people, what is a rich life for you? The most common question, I get this 90% of the time people go, I want to do what I want when I want. I go, Oh God, not again. All right. That's so interesting. <laughs> wow. I never heard that one. And then I go, so what do you want? And they stare at me, just flabbergasted, because most of us have never truly thought about what our rich life is. We think about what emails we have to answer. We think about what we need to repair in our house on the weekend, but don't really think about what would make it extraordinary. And so let me give a few examples of what your rich life might be. Your rich life might be traveling three months a year. It might be buying a $2,000 cashmere coat. Your rich life might be being able to pick up your children from school every afternoon, okay? When I was 21 years old, my rich life at that point was to be able to buy appetizers when I went out to eat. Why? Because when I was a kid, we couldn't afford that. So to be able to sit at a menu and say, that looks good, I'm gonna get it, was amazing. Then I got a little older. Rich life for me at that point, what felt incredibly meaningful was to be able to take a taxi on a sweltering August day instead of having to go into the subway. And now, you know, my rich life has expanded, but your rich life is yours. It's not mine. It's not anybody else's. It's yours. And that's what makes it beautiful. That's, yeah, that's great. And it, it evolves over time, like you're saying, right? So what you imagine as rich 
uh, or extraordinary today will change. It will it will evolve. But being intentional and paying attention to this over time, something we say is like forming this relationship with your goals and, and, yeah. and dating them over time will help you just continue to catch those evolutions as they as they happen. Exactly. We we have so many similarities in philosophies, just approach from a different perspective, which I love. I think that's yeah. awesome. Cross-disciplinary engagement is fantastic. Um, you know, there are seasons of life and our rich life naturally changes within those. In my 20s, I wanted to go out a lot. Awesome. I should invest in that. I should spend time and money going out, having fun. In my 30s, more traveling, things like that. 40s, for a lot of people, it's family. That's traditional. And there are lots of ways that you know you can be traditional and you can create a rich life. You also can be very untraditional. I have uh, one of my readers in my book, he told me uh, he used my material. He and his wife retired in their 30s, and now they drive an RV around the country. Now, let me just tell you something. You're probably not going to find me in an RV. It's not really <laughs> my style, okay? But I love that that's what he and his family decided is their rich life. So I I really want people to turn that dial and refine their vision of a rich life because that's why I say it is a tragedy to live a smaller life than you have to. Yeah, I, you know, I, uh, I I took the quiz. Uh, I should call it the the survey uh, on, your, uh-huh. on your website when I was just getting to, to know you a little bit more before we spoke. And I thought that was great. Some really great questions. And I'm, yeah. I'm the av- adventurer. Nice. Uh, yeah. Very <laughs> which, good. It's which very probably, telling. Yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise you if you, you knew maybe some of my background, but this is it relates to what you were saying before. I used to be in extreme sports. I was a professional skydiver when I was younger. Wow. Uh pilot into aviation, those things, but I moved into a new season of life. Yeah. Uh and and wanted to grow in different areas and I have a lot of friends that stayed in that world and I look at what they're up to today and and I think it's amazing because they're fulfilled, but it, it's misaligned with what's important to me today. And you know, they're living in RVs outside of drop zones, traveling the world still, you know, doing that thing. But uh, I had a shift in priorities. So I relate very much to what you're saying. That's cool. That's really cool. For anyone else listening, you can get that quiz at IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com. And I, I don't know, I think we all intuitively love to learn about ourselves. And when you can find out, for example, when I speak to couples, and we're talking about money, and they'll just say something offhandedly. And I'll go, oh, tell me about that. How'd you grow up with money? Let me guess. Your parents would sit around the dinner table and they might say something like, we can't afford it. And they just look at me like, how'd you know that? And it seems like magic, but given enough conversations and enough understanding of human behavior, you start to see these patterns that repeat themselves a lot. And with money, many of us believe that we are logical robots. I'm going to the grocery store. I'm buying uh, whatever cereal because I like it. And what you don't realize, what we don't realize is that we are the products of the influences around us. It's very likely you bought that cereal because mom and dad served it to you as a kid and you now associate it with love. Now imagine that expanded for what type of vacations you think, how much you think is normal to have in the bank. Do you believe it's normal to have credit card debt or not? And on and on and on. So in order to understand what our rich life is going forward, we've also got to understand our past. And that really helps you decide which parts of your past you want to keep, which is great, honor where you came from, but also which parts you might want to rewrite for this new season of life. Mm, it's so good. It's, it's, we have these beliefs that are the story we tell ourselves either consciously or subconsciously. Yeah. And 
try to figure out what which of those might be your limiting beliefs that are actually anchoring you from where you want to go. And I love that you said you gotta you gotta think about where you're coming from to know where you want to go. Yeah. I call them invisible scripts because mm-hmm. they are the scripts that guide our lives, but they're so deeply embedded in us that they are effectively invisible to us. I'll give you a few examples. There are positive invisible scripts. Like I grew up, uh, as I mentioned, son of immigrants. One invisible script in our culture is education is a good thing. I think that's probably a pretty good script. Maybe it can be taken too far, but in general, I do believe it. I think it's been good for me. Another script might be, uh, we can't afford it. A very common phrase that if you hear it a thousand times growing up, guess what? You grow up, maybe you have a pretty good income. Maybe you start saving money. Maybe you start investing. You know, I speak to couples on my podcast. They go, we, I spoke to a couple recently, 60 years old. She says, I am about to retire. I want to take a trip. I want to start traveling. He goes, we can't do it. We need to save money. 60 years old. I said, what's your net worth? $6.3 million. So anyone listening is going, whoa, that's so crazy. But the fact of the matter is we all behave this way when it comes to money. We don't understand how the numbers actually tie to what we want to do. We don't understand ratios. We don't know how much we can actually afford to spend on a house or a car. So we just make these transactional decisions, whatever's in front of us. Literally, it's like ordering food at Chipotle. That's the level of analysis we assign to like buying a house. We don't even think about ratios and uh, affordability and TCO. And when I when I talk to couples, I want them to become better with money. I want them to live a rich life. In order to do that, you need to do two things. One, confidence. You need to become confident with money. And that means mastering your money psychology. But to become confident, you also need to become competent. You need to be able to speak the basic language. What is compounding? What is a Roth IRA? These things are important. And if you can do those two things, it's pretty good sign you can design your rich life. Confidence and competence. That's pretty good. So you said something, if I if I remember reading, it was like spend extravagantly on the things that you love, but then also cut very intentionally the things that you don't. But yeah. be okay with spending money on the things that you really are passionate about. Yeah, I say spend extravagantly on the things you love as long as you cut costs mercilessly on the things you don't. So I'll give you a few examples. I love when I hear somebody say, Ramit, I absolutely love yoga. I go to yoga three times a week. I said, oh, that sounds good. What else? What else do you do? They go, well, I haven't ever told anyone this, but I'm actually saving up to go to a yoga retreat in India. I go, that's awesome. That's what I call a money dial. It's something that you love spending money on. Okay, And you can turn that dial way up. What I find is that most of us are taught culturally and through our families that we should just try to cut back a little on everything. I go, why? That sucks. So you're telling me I got to cut back 5% on coffee, 5% on skydiving, 5% on clothes, 5% on bikes, 5% on food. Why? What kind of life is this? It sucks. Instead, think of it more like a barbell. Let's double, triple, quadruple our spending on the things we love. Maybe it's fitness. For most people, the number one money dial is eating out. The number two, travel. Number three, health and wellness. Number four, convenience. And we can talk about all those. But then... When I ask people this exercise, I say, what would it look like if you quadrupled your spending on the money dial that you love? And their eyes light up. They go, oh my God, like eating out. I'll give you an example. They go, 
uh, well, one guy, he's, they always say the same thing. I'd probably have to go on a diet because I'd be eating out four times a week. Ha ha ha. I go, oh God, all right. <laughs> Pretty linear answer. As if quadrupling your spend means you just do it four times. I go, mm, let's go deeper. Where would you eat? And he goes, he gets quiet. I was at a book tour in DC asking this young man. He said, um, I have a list of every Michelin star restaurant in DC. One day I would love to eat at. I said, wow, that sounds amazing. And then I said, who would you take with you? It's pin drop silence in the room. And he looks at me and he says, I would take my family. Why? Because they could never afford to eat there. Okay, that is a money dial. And if we start from what you love to do, then we can look at your finances and it's very easy to identify what you can cut costs mercilessly on. Maybe you don't need that type of car or that cable or whatever, but we always start from what your rich life is versus cutting back. Yeah, there's a couple examples you shared there where somebody's initial response was what you typically see when you take someone down a goal setting path and you're like, hey, come on, like imagine where you want to go. What does extraordinary look like? And there's there's a muscle that you have to build, I think, to know yes. how to ask that bigger question to go a step further. And then when you think you're there, go into like uncomfortable even a step further. And and do you, do you have any insight for somebody on how they could, when they're starting to ask these questions, like catch themselves and push yeah. a little bit further. Well, what a great example you pointed out that it is a muscle. So I frequently will see this. It's reflexive minimization. I'll say, oh, okay, you love your house. Fantastic. If if you could spend more on your house, if you could live anywhere, where would it be? And they go like this. Well, it's not like I need a big house. It's not like I need to live on the beach. It's just that I need a... I go, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on. I'm not asking you to tell me what you don't need. I'm asking you to tell me what would the dream be. Let's start from there and then we can chop it up and make it realistic. Hey, maybe you want to live on the beach. Okay, maybe you can't afford a $6 million beach house. How about an Airbnb for a weekend? Can we start there? And it is this muscle because this really comes back to our cultural invisible script of I shouldn't want more. That's for rich people, not people like me. And what if I set a goal or even say it out loud, and then I can't do it. Then I'm a failure, right? These are all little scripts that we have running in our heads. And one of my goals, it's like if I were to go skydiving, I've never done it. I'm going to be afraid, all right? And I'm going to say all these things in the back of my head. Maybe I should turn back. Maybe I should not do it. I don't know. I'm and a great instructor is going to say, look, we know we went through training. We're going to take it step by step. You're going to be with me. We're going to go through it together. Let's do this together. That's exactly what dreaming bigger requires. Sometimes you need a little help. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, be aware of those limiting beliefs that you have that are between you and doing that thing that you you potentially want to do. And yeah. I, always, I always share a funny story. When I used to skydive regularly, people would always say like, why would you jump out of a perfectly good airplane? I would never jump out of a perfectly good airplane. And I would always joke and say, well, have you ever seen a skydiving plane? Like there's nothing perfectly good about that. <laughs> and, That's and, really good. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. And it, and, but then I started thinking about that and in, in my own reflection, I'm like, well, man, what, what am I telling myself? Like, what's my personally, pers uh, excuse me, perfectly good airplane and putting the mirror back. And it was really interesting to think about things that way. That's interesting. One time, the closest I got to skydiving was I went to a military base and we were doing some exercises helping 
some of the people coming out of the military get jobs and things like that. So they sort of took us around as civilians for a day, you know, and and uh, they took us to what they call the 34-foot tower where they train the paratroopers, et cetera. It's 34 feet because that's mathematically the scariest amount for a human. And of course, there's barbed wire and stuff beneath it. You have to jump out, your thing hooks on, and then you sort of glide along the path. All right. First of all, they strapped this thing to my back right? It's a simulated parachute. And I'm wearing Adidas track pants because it is really <laughs> hot, right? I'm just like a total, I'm wearing like a Lululemon shirt. And all these guys are out there. They've been voluntold, you need to be here and help these civilians. So they're sitting there sweating in their hot fatigues. I go, hey, uh, this is a pretty cool pack. Is this what you guys wear? And they just laugh. They go, no, sir. Uh, ours is like, 70 pounds. This is about 25 pounds. I was like, oh, okay. So we <laughs> trudge up the stairs. And what was fascinating was, first of all, there was one of our uh, colleagues coming down the stairs. She'd gotten too afraid and she'd come down. Okay, fine. We go up and I start talking. I realize that when I'm going through fear, I start to just over talk. Okay, I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. I'm going to put my chin down. Blah. And the guy's like, shut the F up, jump. <laughs> and it it was a muscle that I have not really developed. As a civilian, I don't really get screamed at that often, except on Twitter by uh, NIMBY losers. And, and what I realized was, wow, this is a totally different experience. And to my colleague's credit, the one who was walking down the stairs, she actually got the courage to come back up, conquer her fears, and jumped out as well. So that day was very memorable to me. And now you're inspiring me to maybe consider doing a real jump. <laughs> Oh, that's cool. I, I, uh, if it's for you, it's for you. I, I vow to never try to convince someone to skydive. Yeah. <laughs> it's a choose your own adventure kind of thing. Uh, we, we used to joke and say that uh, when you're standing in the door of the airplane and you open it up and it gets really loud and windy that no, no, no sounds a whole lot like go, go, go. So. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have some funny phrases. I like it. Uh, you have to. You have to make light of a potentially serious scenario. But uh, so I want to circle back. We talked about the like spend extravagantly on the things that you love. Uh -huh. And so having clarity on like, what are those things for you? And the money dial is, is awesome. Uh, it's got to be a little bit more challenging when you think about a couple then, right? Because you may have alignment, misalignment on some of the things that, you know, you want to spend extravagantly on any, any advice on some of those common issues or how couples could address that? Well, this is what I absolutely love to talk about. So. Uh, when my wife and I were um, going to get married, we were talking about a prenup and we started talking and it was actually going pretty well until it got really hard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm the money guy. I've written a best-selling book on money. I've been talking about money every day of my life for the last 20 years. And I was like, is it, how can it be this hard? It was very challenging. And I, I did all my searches. I looked on Google. There was nothing great. What I really wished I could find was real couples talking about money. Not just some blog post saying like, have the conversation. I go, what conversation? Literally tell me the words to say. And I want to hear couples doing it. What I later learned is that for intimate topics like prenups, or even how couples should talk about money, it's always behind closed doors. Think about it. Have you ever actually heard a couple with $600,000 of debt talking about their money? 
Not in a public space. Nope. And how about a couple with $8 million in the bank um, bemoaning the fact that they can't fly on this trip because they don't have enough Delta points? Yeah. Yeah. Not the same. Also, no. All we hear is movies. We see some couple in some Soho apartment talking about money or whatever. We've never actually heard real couples. And that's what I wanted to do. So after my wife and I went through our challenging process, uh, we learned a lot. We actually went to see a therapist and that therapist asked us a, a really fascinating question. She said, how do you see money? And she looked at me first. I was like, oh, I got this. Growth. Like I could literally see compound interest, rule of 72 floating in front of my eyes. I could see it all. And then she turns to my wife. What do you see when you think about money? She goes, safety. I looked at my wife like, huh? That's like saying microwave oven. It doesn't make any correlation for me. So for couples, I started bringing them on my podcast, sharing real numbers. They all share their income, their debt, how they spend their money and what their problem is. Sometimes they have, like I said, $825,000 of debt, sometimes millions in the bank, sometimes one of them's a spender or saver or cultural differences. Some suggestions for couples. The biggest problem that is common among couples who are in disagreement about money is they have no rich life vision. So suggestion number one is to create a rich life vision. What is our rich life? It can't just be travel. A better answer would be, we want to go to Italy for three weeks. We want to bring our parents along. We want to drink Italian wine and watch the sunset over Rome. That's a vision. okay? Or I don't ever want to have to chop a vegetable again. Also a vision. We can use money to solve that problem. Lots of specific big and small visions you can create. The second thing is to talk about money regularly. Most couples only speak about money when there's a problem. Well, guess what? If you only talk about when it's a problem, money becomes a problem. Let's talk about it proactively. Let's get our logistics out of the way. Let's set up our accounts correctly, which we can talk about. And then finally, we can start to turn money from a source of shame and guilt and anger into joy and adventure and generosity. That's how you get started. That's powerful. So cast a vision for what a rich life looks like for you. Just take the time to align on what that future state is together and create that common purpose, that kind of common vision of, of where you want to go. Yeah. I'll give you an example from a couple that I spoke to. So um, they earned a pretty good living. One earned more than the other. And um, the husband did not want to spend money on any assistance around the house. Like, for example, he didn't want to hire movers. And because he works a lot, he only has a limited amount of time. And he chose to spend that limited amount of time moving instead of hiring movers, which they could easily afford. This was becoming an issue with children, things like that. Cultural differences. So one of them just didn't see the value. They said, I'll do it myself. And the other said, we have money. We should use it to make our lives easier. So there's lots of approaches that somebody can take. And my job is not to sit here and berate people. It's to ask them a lot of questions and help them understand why they believe what they believe. At the end of the episode, I asked them not to create their rich life because I, his answer was, I want a billion dollars. That's not an effective answer. That's basically self-sabotage, right? You're probably not going to have mm -hmm. a billion dollars. I said, okay, forget the billion. What's your perfect week? Start on Sunday and take me through Saturday. So it's like, we want to take our kids to the park. We want to have brunch. We want to see our family on Thursday, et cetera. 
I said, this is a beautiful vision. You know, sometime with friends and family, sometimes with alone, one date night, beautiful. I said, hey, out of curiosity, where's your laundry in this perfect week? I didn't see you blocking aside three hours to do your laundry. And they both laughed because they realized in their vision, laundry is not part of their rich life. Guess what? They live in New York. They can pay for that to be done very inexpensively. Problem solved. So sometimes we can just narrow the scope to our perfect week. And that makes clear what we value and what we don't. That's great. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen success with something similar, just kind of zooming out and zooming in. And yeah. you need to have the, the, the ability to do both because you can get clarity uh, when you're stuck in either place. Like if yeah. you're stuck in the weeds and you can't see over the horizon, like you're really struggling, like stop, hit pause, zoom out. But if you're lost in the fog of the future, maybe sometimes you need to zoom in a little bit and just get yeah. some tangible growth, some progress, and some some clarity on where you want to go in the shorter term. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Totally you, agree. You- I'll give you an example of what, what we can do to zoom out real quick. This is a size that I did with my wife. It's a fun one. If you're in a relationship and you're like, hey, this all sounds cool. What am I supposed to do right now? Play this game. We did this and it was a blast. We sat down two pieces of paper and I said, let's create our bucket list. But it's not our bucket list before we die. It's our bucket list of things we want to do in the next 10 years, where if we did them, it would mean that we lived a rich and meaningful life. All right. So she created hers. I created mine. And then we shared them back and forth. So one of us was like, I want to learn Spanish. The other one said, uh, I want to go skydiving. The other one said, "I like for me, I wanted to write a book in a hotel. That's just the thing I want to do. And with each of these answers, we were excited. We were curious. Oh my God, Spanish. Why do you want to do that? Oh, you want to actually go to Mexico? Oh, wow. Skydiving. Might have to do that on your own. I'll meet you at the bottom, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> it's fun, right? You're teasing each other. You're having fun. And then we said, all right, which are the one or two things that we can do together? Because some of these items are solo. Some are together. We found a couple that were really meaningful to us. One of them was having our 10-year wedding anniversary in a very special location. Okay, great. So we said, let's let's zoom in on that one. We know that it's going to be X years from now. How much do you think it'll cost for that to make it amazing? So we both kind of separately wrote our numbers down. My number was a lot bigger than hers. <laughs> she was like, uh, I was like, trust me, it's going to be sweet. So my rule is, if you have two numbers, go with the bigger one. Because even if you get 75% of the way there, fine. This is a rich life 10-year goal. It's not something you're going to do two months from now. So we then reverse engineered it and realized in order to hit that number, we need to save or invest X per month. And that's the way that we started to create one of our long-term joint goals. Every month, it's like a video game. You see a little bit of money going in there and you go, wow, we know exactly where we're going to be with all of our loved ones. That is our rich life. That's awesome. Do you you see values showing up intentionally and 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 uh, helping give clarity on on some of these challenges couples face like identifying their core values and having some discussion or alignment on those as being a maybe a lens that you can help view the future i i do but i think it's really hard for people to recognize their own values i mean the mm. people who like come listen to this podcast they understand what core values are but if you take an ordinary person say like what are your values they're like what they're like i like to eat chips Is that a value? So I think sometimes values are revealed through a deep series of conversations. Um, 
it might be, you know, we all kind of, there's this thing in psychology called the demand effect. If you ask people a certain type of question, they will answer in a certain way. Go ask anybody on the street, what are your favorite things to do? One of your top three answers will be travel. It's like, mm, when was the last time you actually got on a plane? And so with values, you tend to get these sort of pre-rehearsed answers. But if you drill down, what I find really beautiful is that people's values are really quite different. Like for me, I love convenience. Love it. Like I'm going to sound like a serial killer right now, but I want every part of my house to be so organized that if I go blind, I know exactly where this type of salt is. I want everything perfectly organized, okay? I know I sound like a psycho, but that's what I love. And so therefore, I've built my life around convenience. You might build your life around relationships, but it's really hard to just ask somebody like, what's your value? values. Instead, I think we talk about what would you love to do? What do you want to do more of? What could you give up and you wouldn't care about? What would make you and your family have an unforgettable experience? And suddenly it becomes very clear. Do they value relationships? Do they value extravagance? Do they value X, Y, Z? And then it tells me where to take it from there. Mm, That makes sense. Yeah. And you said that people view values differently. And my experience, that is very true, but also they may interpret the same values differently. So what what family or excellence or travel yeah. or freedom means to one person may mean something very different and to another. Fantastic point. I don't actually like when people give me words like freedom. I'm like, what's money for? They go freedom. I go, ah, what? what? That's just a word. Vague. Let's get specific. Yeah, it's vague. And a rich life is lived in vivid details. So if Freedom means that you can go lift weights at 3 p.m. every day. Tell me that because then we can work with that. That means you need to change your calendar. Maybe you need to have enough to afford a personal trainer, whatever. But if you just say freedom, so many of us hide behind these vague words. And then what do we do? We do what everybody else does. We believe that the American dream is get married, buy a house you can't afford in the suburbs where you don't see any of your friends, move to Florida one day, uh, you know, die. I'm like, "Mm, okay, if that's what you love, great. But maybe there's a different path for some people. But you have to articulate it. Nobody's going to give it to you without you doing that work. Absolutely. That's why it's so important that your goals are specific and and measurable and and you get them to it. I always say that your goals are like a destination. And to know that you've arrived there, you need to know specifically where that destination is. And then you can kind of reverse engineer engineer your milestones back from that that destination. And it may change over time. You, your destination might move, but at least you're intentional and specific about where you're going. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Okay. So the we talked about couples and some of the like early challenges they run into. What, what about someone who's maybe a little further down the path or a couple that's further down the path? Maybe they've started this, but they're like off track or they, they feel like they, they don't have a good system in place to stay on track over time or be accountable to it. They've imagined where they want to go and they've done yeah. some of that work, but they're further down and they find themselves picking their head up and being like, shoot, we've gone two years and we're, we're totally disconnected from our goals. Yeah, that's very common. Uh, first of all, I don't mind it. It's super common. Uh, life is messy. <clears throat> and so like, I remember I spoke to a couple, just a couple of episodes ago and during our recording, their kids were just screaming, running around. And I kind of loved it. I'm like, this is real. Your kids yeah. do not care that you're on a podcast and you've waited months and you got, sp- they're just kids. And so 
first of all, let's just accept that life is not a perfectly organized desk with a single cup of jasmine tea steaming. You know, life is messy. We got to live in that messy life. Okay, fine. That's number one. I don't have any problem with that. Number two is that we often look at money as a series of transactional decisions. Should I buy this car? Should I get this cheesecake? Should we get a double-double in and out? It's just one pointless decision after another that doesn't really connect to our rich life. And so what I like to do, you know, I love systems. I told you about those scholarships that I created. I want a system for your money. That's why I wrote, I will teach you to be rich. So let me give you some basic, simple overview of how you can set this up to really like eliminate most of this. You should spend about an hour a month on your finances if you have this working. You have a joint account where income goes into it. Okay, this is a simple version. Each of you has individual accounts where that you take a percentage of your money and it goes into individual accounts. You can use that for anything you want, no questions asked, whatever it may be. In the joint account, you know, you're paying for presumably your joint living situation, your rent or mortgage, uh, groceries, et cetera. And you split your money. You only need to track four numbers, just four. This is all a template of my conscious spending plan. The first number is your fixed costs. Okay, that would be your housing, your car, any debt payments, cable, groceries, the stuff that you pay. That should be 50 to 60% of your take home. The next would be your savings. 5 to 10% of your take-home pay or after-tax pay. Your investments, 5 to 10%. I'd really like to see that number a little higher depending on your age, but 10%, let's say, for take-home pay for investments. And finally, my favorite, guilt-free spending. That's <laughs> going out to eat. It's buying beautiful clothes, decorating the house, whatever. Guilt-free, 20 to 35% of take-home. Those are general recommendation guidelines. If you are hitting those numbers, you're in pretty good shape. Typically, where there's conflict is, number one, people have no clue. They're like, what's a conscious spending plan and what are fixed costs? That's because they're making transactional decisions. Two, they don't have a rich life vision. And three, they don't have a place to talk about it. So if you set that system up alone, 90% of your problems will vanish overnight. That's awesome. I love what you how you go to systems because I mean, it's so common that life gets crazy, like you said. And if you don't have a system to fall back on, life's going to take, take you over, you get steamrolled and you need to have, you need to have a consistent framework that you're using time over time. And to your point, like break it down in its simplest form. And those are some really great tips and and pointers. Let let Um, me give a suggestion on some advanced stuff that can help people simplify because people listening are a little bit more advanced, I think. And I want to share how you can, proactively plan instead of constantly being reactive with your money, all right? Oftentimes you find people, they'll say something like, it feels like we take one step forward and two steps back. We pay off something, something breaks. But given enough time and information, even unexpected expenses become relatively predictable. So let's break it down. If you and your partner sit down, you say, hey, let's, let's take this conscious spending plan and let's actually plan out our year. Month by month, what do we think the unexpected expenses are going to be? Oh boy, well, our anniversary is going to be in March. I'd really love to take a nice trip or have a nice dinner, get a babysitter. Okay, let's put that down right now. In December, we're going to travel. We should write that down. Ooh, in fact, let's talk about where we're going to go. Okay, cool. We had that conversation. You start to plan for things and then you even plan for the unexpected. Like I used to have a stupid mistakes account. 
And that would be things like a parking ticket or some fee that I forgot. If that's a case for you, maybe a maintenance account, you know, you know that something in your house is going to break or your car. Cool. Let's just put 20 bucks aside every month or 50 bucks aside. Suddenly, when summer camp comes up or a trip or a college friend from out of town is like, hey, let's take a trip. Whatever that may be, you have put aside money for it. This is how you start to take control and go on offense with your money instead of playing defense for the rest of your life. That's such a great point. Like the the offense versus defense and, and giving your money a job proactively instead yep. of responding to what's happening to you and reacting. It's, it's such a great point. I know from my own experience doing some of that over month over month and year over year, you start to to identify those buckets you need for yourself that you wouldn't, yeah. unless you're paying really close attention to it, you don't see the pattern yeah. uh, showing up. You're just not tracking it. And I, I have to say, I don't really want to sit there and look at my Safeway receipt for the price of asparagus. Like if I find myself looking at counting the price of asparagus, I'm in hell, okay? And I've taken a wrong turn in life. That's why I say four numbers to track four numbers. So if, for example, one partner is in charge of groceries, you really should not be sitting there being like, why'd you go to Target? Why'd you buy this? It's like, mind your business. Your partner's in charge. You've both agreed on a number. Now give them ownership. Let them do it. And hey, if they overspend one month, fine. Things happen. We'll get back on track later. Notice the fluidity and the comfort versus rigidity. Why'd you do that? How much did you spend? How are we supposed to get ahead? Rigidity comes from not having a system and not understanding how this tiny little decision affects our overall rich life. Fluidity is mastery, comfort, knowing that, you know what? It's okay if something goes a little wrong over here because we've already built in a little bit of wiggle room and we are still focused on the big picture. Yeah. It goes back to what you're saying, we were saying before about zooming in and zooming out a little bit too. Yeah. If you zoom in too much on the, the the individual line items in there that that you're tracking and not zoom out to like, hey, this quarter, we're way ahead. You know, that's why that's why people fight so much. And it's honestly it's frustrating to hear because I always tell them you are so focused on three dollar questions that you've totally neglected asking the thirty thousand dollar questions. They're sitting over here saying, "Oh my God, I can't believe you bought that craft cheese. Why didn't we get the generic?" I go, "Why? Why are we talking about craft cheese? This makes no sense." Okay. Meanwhile, they're not asking thirty thousand dollar questions. The ones that actually matter, like, "What's our savings rate?" They don't even know what a savings rate is. What's our asset allocation? Huh? What's that? Uh, what's our debt payoff date? 95% of people I talk to who are in debt do not know what date their debt would be paid off. That's a $30,000 question. So you could go the rest of your life doing $3 questions. Ooh, why'd you get that at Starbucks? Or you can get the five to 10 big questions, the $30,000 questions right, and you never have to worry about coffee or what type of aluminum foil you buy at the grocery store. This, you can hear me getting aggravated because how many people spend their entire lives playing small? They mm. are living that $3 life. They actually find comfort in that $3 life. But if you ask them, do you want to be doing this for the rest of your life? They say, no. Fantastic. Let's change. Love it. We, we talk a lot about Pareto principle uh, in our teachings and the 80-20 rule. And you know, what we say is what Pareto principle represents is there are 20% things you could focus on that would deliver 80% of your results. 
yeah. in, in a lot of forms and fashions. And that that's what comes out for me when, when you say that it relates to me. It's like, figure out what's the 20% that if you yeah. focused on that would deliver 80% of your results. And what we find is so many people focus on the 80%. I know. Spending all their time on the other things that- Well, I'm guilty of that too. Those big ROI. I get it. And we're, we've all done it. In fact, I bet all of us are doing it right now in some part of our life. I totally understand the visceral appeal. Like, let me just fix that one thing. And and what I've realized, especially running my own business for almost 20 years, is that you have to be willing to have certain things be broken forever. And it's actually fine. And if you are getting, in my case, the four numbers in the conscious spending plan right, you're actually doing fantastic. You do not need to comparison shop for the price of pickles all right. And you do not need to worry about, should I drive an extra mile to save 10 cents a gallon on gas? No, you don't even need to worry about that. That's actually hard for people because that's mostly what we've known. That's probably what our parents taught us. So to be able to realize like, it actually doesn't matter. And I have elevated myself to bigger questions. That's quite a uncomfortable moment on your personal identity. But to me, this is the joy of really creating a breakthrough where you start to see money as bigger than, can I save 10 cents? Absolutely. So powerful. And it's it's a mindset shift to, yeah. to think that way, which is typically the, the uncomfortable place to go. Yeah. But I, I always believe, and that's a good indication when you're starting to feel uncomfortable, you're in that growth zone. You need to lean in. That's where you yeah. want to go. Totally. Ramit. So much synergy between us and uh, and what you teach. And if our listeners want to learn more about your process, check you out, be a part of your world, where can they find you? First thing is, if you like what you're hearing, you want to hear me talking to real couples with real numbers from behind closed doors, just go to the I Will Teach You To Be Rich podcast. And you can find us on audio. We also do it on video now. So you can actually see the couples and their facial expressions and body language. It's quite fascinating. And of course, you can get access to all my material, including the conscious spending plan on my website, IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com. Awesome. No, I, that's pretty cool that couples are willing to be vulnerable like that. That's that's awesome. What a great yeah. breakthrough. And I'm sure there's a ton of value in yep. uh, being able to watch that. I know in doing this and coaching and also being a participant in certain things that sometimes it's it's almost more valuable to watch somebody else have a breakthrough from yeah. an outside perspective than to be in the hot seat. So it's a, it's a good way to learn. Yep. Totally. Awesome. Well, Hey, if you could have our listeners take away one thing from the conversation today, what would that be? It would be that money is meant to be used on a rich life. So my challenge to everyone here is what is your rich life in specific vivid details? And if you want to do it solo, you want to do it with a partner, whatever works. And I'd actually love to hear from you. So if you want to send me a message on social media, tell me you heard me listening here. And I'd love to hear what your rich life is. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much for your time today and all your wisdom. It's great to talk to you. Thanks. It was a pleasure. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to The One Thing Podcast. If you're a bold risk taker who wants to dream big and achieve a higher level of success in your life or business, visit theonething.com. 
There you'll find information on one-on-one coaching, our exclusive community membership program, and customized workshops that will help you get your team or organization aligned and rowing in the same direction. That's T-H-E, the number one, dot com to start living the life you've always dreamed of today. Be sure to follow the show to stay up to date on weekly episodes, guest interviews, and more. Plus, we would love to hear from you. Send us a voice note by going to speakpipe.com slash the one thing or email us at podcast at the one thing.com. We'll see you next week.